to call this meeting of the Law and Legislation Committee to order. order. Will the clerk please call a roll to establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Council Member Garrett? Absent. Council yeah. Member Jennings? Here. Kaplan? Here. Chair Valenzuela? I am here. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings, since I saw you get your card out, would you like to lead us in the land acknowledgement and Pledge of Allegiance? As we do the land acknowledgement. Okay, this is in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people's tribe, people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisian people, the Southern Maidu, the Valley and Plains, the Miwok and Patwin, Patwin Wenton peoples, and the peoples of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who come before us, who came before us, and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contribution, and lives. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. And I'll note for those watching online that the vice mayor has joined us. Good morning. Um, Good morning. So we have one item on our discussion calendar today, which is the city cannabis business operations tax. So while staff comes up to prepare the presentation, I just want to start with some brief framing comments, if I might. Take the liberty as chair as you get ready. Um, just to say that I appreciate all of the emails that we've all received over these last couple of days about the business tax in this space. And I just want to say that today's discussion is about whether or not we are charging the appropriate tax rate for a sustainable legal industry. Um, that's the conversation today. And I appreciate that tax revenue is tied to a lot of really important things, of which I know I personally can speak for myself support. But right now, we charge cannabis 100 times what we charge any other business in the city of Sacramento, and they are charged double what alcohol is charged at the state level. And so we have heard very clearly that we need to talk about whether or not this rate is strong enough as the right rate to support the legal market, because without a strong legal market, we will continue to see the illicit market thrive in Sacramento, and that is unacceptable on many, many fronts. And what is happening right now is the legal market is unable to adequately compete. And so that is the point of our conversation today. I just want to frame in this way so that as people are coming up for public comment, I just want to make sure that we know that we the goal here today is to really talk about whether or not as a policy decision, the tax rate for cannabis is appropriate or needs to be adjusted. And I will remind folks from our last conversation that one where we left this is that, you know, we urgently need the federal and state government to take some action here. Um, we desperately need the federal and state government to take some action here. This is part of why the cannabis industry is particularly impacted by the current regulatory environment and if at any point they do we at the local level can decide to change again um, we have that flexibility within the four percent to say hey we're gonna change it one way and now we're gonna bring it back if we so to choose so we're not locking ourselves in here today to a ballot measure process or anything we're just talking about does it make sense to make an adjustment and if the state or federal government make changes we can change again at the local level we have that flexibility and so just want to continue to bang that drum and kind of tee us up where we left off at our last conversation, which is where we are starting the conversation today with the assessment that staff is bringing us. So go ahead, Davina. 
um, Program Manager for the Office of Program <coughs> Office of Cannabis Management here in Sacramento. Um, I also want to let people know, um, you know, I'm a regulator. Tax is not my normal place where I live. Uh, so I did want to let the uh, committee know that the director of finance can be available uh, to answer any questions um, if, if so desired. So I think in any discussion of cannabis in California, as the chair uh, said, it, it is important to talk about the statewide cannabis taxes. Um, Prop 64, which was the ballot measure that looked at um, having both adult use and medicinal cannabis, along with regulatory programs throughout the state, established two state taxes. One was a 15% excise tax. That excise tax would be floating um, and, and, and kind of change every year, adjust every year. And then there was a cultivation tax on harvested cannabis as well. Uh, AB 195, which was passed um, at the end of June in 2022, that was part of a, a, a budget bill, uh, that did eliminate the cultivation tax and it froze the excise tax, tax for three fiscal years. Um, it also allowed equity retailers to invest 20% of that collected excise tax into their own business and it set aside a certain amount of money for tax credits for equity operators and certain retailers. So we all know that sales are down uh, in general statewide. Um, the first two quarters of 2022 compared with the first two quarters of 2023 statewide show that both taxable cannabis sales and uh, revenue are down. Um, and I think it's important to note that because the, the tax rate at the state level is so high, um, you know, unfortunately, as we'll look at later with some of the examples, particularly San Francisco, um, it, in a way, it doesn't matter how much tax you have. You can have zero local tax, and we will not be competitive with the illicit marketplace. The, the regulatory costs, the business costs, your payroll tax, these are all just expenses that, unfortunately, the illicit market doesn't have. Um, so I think it's important to note that um, at this point. And the state is certainly seeing um, uh, their, their tax revenue go down. Uh, what's interesting is we do contrast with the city of Sacramento, which have so far seen in the first three months of this year, this fiscal year, seen our uh, tax revenue actually be about $230,000 higher than last year. So our business snapshot, um, we do have 288 approved business operating permits. We have 77 pending applications. Um, in our analysis, we see that cannabis businesses are not closing at a higher rate than those of other small businesses on a nationwide level. Um, as I said earlier, our cannabis business operations tax has risen compared to the first three months of the last fiscal year. And again, what we've seen, um, again, is that our 4% cannabis tax is competitive with jurisdictions in our region as well as other jurisdictions in the state. So this is the breakdown of the number of permits that we have the currently issued, as well as those that are pending. So on a national level, we all know small businesses close. It's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to do to open up a small business. Um, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, along with the um, Small Business Administration, track businesses and business closures. Um, in, uh, if a business had opened in March of 2018, um, on average, 48% of those businesses would have closed within five years. Um, and this kind of breaks down the numbers that they have seen. Now, this is not a national um, analysis. This is just looking at our businesses because this is the information that we have. But for those permits 
that have been surrendered or expired, um, we note that we actually don't have any permits that are currently, that businesses types that have closed more than 48%. So we're actually less than the national average, which is encouraging. We have one that's close, that's manufacturing at 47.5. I fully acknowledge that this does not account for the year-by-year -year businesses. Some of these businesses are one year old, some are five years old. Um, so I do want to point that out. Um, however, at this point, this is the best kind of analysis we can provide for our closure rates. We do have there also the year-by-year. -year. So you can see year one, we had no closures. That's when we really first started permitting things beyond storefront dispensaries. And then we slowly go up. So when we look at our CBOT rates and compare them between last year and this year, you'll see that overall we're about $229,000 ahead of where we were this time last year. There are four basically business types where we are not higher than where we were last time. Those, thus far that has been more than made up by gains, particularly in distribution as well as dispensaries. We also uh, have about $220,000 in uncollected CBOT. This is something that happens. We find that our um, revenue division, unfortunately, has to sometimes you know, go after people a couple months to, to get them to pay taxes. So it could be that this is just a typical, you know, people, people wait until the last possible minute to pay their taxes, right, like, like most people, I think. Um, or it could be an issue that people just simply do not have the money and then they don't plan to pay the taxes. So we are kind of in a holding pattern to see what exactly is going on with that. So for revenue that was actually recognized since 2017, we can see that we actually had a bit of an aberration back in 2021, right? It's a, it was sort of a, an unnatural peak, I believe, fueled by the pandemic. Um, before then, we had kind of been going up about $5 million each year. And then from fiscal year 1920 to 2021, all of a sudden, we're up $9 million. Um, so we have slowly been sort of trickling down. And I think we're sort of right-sizing where we will probably end up. Uh, right now, we are on, on uh, track, track to meet the sort of 21 million, 22 million in our revenue. So when we look at where our region is when it comes to tax rates, the EPS study um, did show that we are comparable, right? So if you look at the various rates for retail, if you look at rates for cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, microbusiness, you know, our 4% is right in there. We do not charge a cultivation square foot, which uh, I think for a lot of people that has been problematic. Um, we try to make it easy for people. Um, so no one has to go out there and actually calculate, you know, canopy square footages. Um, so this was done um, by EPS um, back in 2021 in the report that they issued on the citywide cannabis tax, uh, citywide cannabis study. So after the last meeting, we were tasked specifically with going out and trying to find out um, kind of from other jurisdictions that had lowered or were considering lowering their cannabis business operation tax and really kind of find out some foundational questions, right? Had they, had they indeed lowered that tax? Um, why were they going to be lowering it or why had they decided not to lower it? Um, what was the impact on their jurisdiction and were their goals realized in whatever action they took or if they didn't take an action, were their goals realized? So we found a couple different themes as we, we started going through these, right? One was that we did see some jurisdictions that were uh, reducing um, their tax rates 
basically to help equity programs, equity businesses, or to help specific business types. So an example of reducing for equity would be Long Beach. Um, they retained their 8% um, for retail storefront and 6% for retail medicinal uh, for all business except for equity. They also retained their cultivation square footage at 1370 for all businesses except equity. Um, they don't have uh, data at this time because it's a new tax measure to show whether this has achieved their goals in trying to better support their equity businesses and make sure that they remain um, at rising levels in, in the city of Long Beach. They're also looking at a tax rebate program, somewhat similar to what Oakland does, to um, provide tax credits to businesses that do certain specified things to help the equity community in Long Beach. Now, San Diego, on the other hand, they were looking at trying to assist certain business types in their community. They had um, sort of pre-awarded 40 different um, you know, permit opportunities um, and uh, after several years, only 19 of those businesses had actually opened. So they looked at lowering their business operations tax for cultivation, manufacturing, and distribution specifically in order to try to encourage those businesses to open. Um, again, at this time, San Diego doesn't have any data that they could share with us that um, this has achieved its goal. They don't have any information on these businesses actually opening up um, because of this tax reduction. And then there's sort of a, a keeping up with the neighbors reduction that we've seen. Um, Coachella Valley, if anyone knows that area, it, it's, it's pretty, um, you know, there's a lot of small towns dotted in that area. Palm Springs is probably the biggest. Uh, Palm Desert and Cathedral City are about seven miles apart from each other, about seven to 14 miles away from Palm Springs. Uh, we'll be talking about Palm Springs in a minute. Um, but these two cities, they had very similar um, CBOTs at 10% for retail and then a cultivation tax, uh, Palm Desert had $15 per square foot, Cathedral City had $13 per square foot. Um, so Palm Desert decided they were gonna lower their tax rates. Um, they agendized it, they directed staff to prepare um, those ordinances and those resolutions. Um, Cathedral City heard about that, saw it on their agenda, and decided to beat them to the punch. So um, Palm Desert's agendized for March for their tax reduction, Cathedral City managed to get theirs on the agenda in February. Um, so they both ended up lowering their um, tax rates. Cathedral City, um, their staff report indicated that they estimated a loss on a year-by-year -year basis of 1.3 million. Uh, Palm Desert, about 1.3 million as well. Um, what's interesting here is that both were trying to retain current businesses as well as attract new businesses. Um, they sense very much that there's a lot of competition from other uh, small cities in the Coachella Valley as well as Palm Springs, and this is their effort to try to, um, you know, show their hand that they are, they are going to be more business friendly, they're going to be more accommodating to cannabis businesses, and so therefore businesses should start there and stay there. And then we had two jurisdictions that we looked at that sort of, um, I guess, talked about reductions in taxes, but decided ultimately not to do that. Um, and instead looked at reducing permit numbers, right, either through moratoriums or through moratoriums plus attrition. So we have Palm Springs. Um, they had a lot of concerns that um, their businesses, particularly their retail businesses, were not getting um, as many customers as they used to. Um, they suffered very much during the pandemic. They are a very retail-heavy city. They have about one retail 
uh, storefront business for every 1,700 residents in the city of Palm Springs. They have fashioned themselves very much as a cannabis tourist destination, but with the pandemic and sort of the after effects of that, those businesses suffered. And so um, in response, the, um, the city looked at a number of measures um, and ultimately decided on a moratorium on retail permits. So they're, they're not gonna issue any retail permits, they're not gonna allow transfers of ownership, they're not gonna allow one person to own multiple storefront dispensaries, just like we do, um, but they made no changes to their tax rate. Um, so they are at 10% for retail, 2% manufacturing, zero for distribution, testing, and then they do a $10 per square foot on cultivation. Um, again, like the other cities, this is very recent, and so they don't have any information that their businesses are actually being helped by this tax break at this time. Um, they said, talk to us in a year, and then we'll be able to tell you more information. Um, San Francisco is interesting. They have um, voter-approved cannabis business operations taxes that they have never implemented, so they have um, delayed implementation twice. Uh, most recently, I believe, was just at the gosh, but I think it was last year that they uh, just uh, delayed it again. Um, and so right now it's scheduled to come into effect in 2026. So San Francisco is a good example of a, a city that doesn't have any local cannabis business operating taxes, and the businesses there are still concerned about the illegal market. They're concerned about competition from other retailers. They feel the market is oversaturated there. Um, and they're, they're, they say that it's, inflation is affecting sales. Customers are coming in and they're just not buying as much as they used to or they're buying um, um, a, a less, right? They're, they're, what they used to spend you know, $100, now they're leaving with $60 worth of product. So they are feeling that. Um, so in response, San Francisco issued a moratorium. They, they, as I said, they delayed their collection of BOT until 2026. And they also issued a moratorium um, in just May of this year on issuing new retail and delivery permits, as well as micro-business permits with a retail component until 2028. Um, in talking with San Francisco, they don't have any information yet on whether, um, again, this has really assisted their businesses, whether their businesses are taking in more revenue than, than previously. Um, so again, I think a lot of tax breaks that we have seen, um, either the, it hasn't been realized or it's too new to, see, to really see any improvements. So at the last meeting, we were requested to bring back some additional modeling on taxes, uh, specifically supply chain reductions, so looking at distribution and testing, as well as medicinal use CBOT reductions. And then we were also asked to look at um, sort of the old voodoo economics uh, of the 80s, right? How many new businesses would we need to have to make up for lost um, tax revenue through a tax cut? So we first looked at supply chain and then a 1% CBOT just for comparison. So if we kept our existing tax rate at 4% for all business except distribution and testing labs, um, you know, it would be a reduction. Um, again, this would be... Um, fiscal year 22-23 numbers um, of about almost $6 million, right? So that's keeping everything at 4% except putting zero for distribution and testing labs. And then if we kept the rate, or well, if we lowered the rate to 3% for all businesses, that would be that next column. And that tax break is about the same, right? It's 5.6 million as opposed to 5.9 million. So that's a kind of a good point of comparison. And then if you wanted to reduce Right, keep it at 3%, but also put zero at distribution and testing. So that would end up being a reduction of 10 million in that FY22-23 dollars. So 
that kind of gives a point of comparison on a couple of different potential actions if, if your committee was interested in that. We were also asked, as I said, to bring back medicinal use CBOT numbers and what those reductions would look like. So currently, um, in 22-23 fiscal year, there was $1.1 million in medicinal use um, cannabis that was sold in our city. Um, it, this basically shows what that route did. If we, we reduced it to 3%, 2%, 1%, and of course zero would be zero. Um, so this is sort of the impact that we would see in those numbers. And just as a point of reference, uh, remember that this was um, uh, $22 million and change for the um, total CBOT. So this is kind of an interesting chart. Um, we basically looked at how much do average, average businesses sort of spend um, in taxes, and then we said how many would we need of that particular business type to offset a million dollars, three million dollars, five million dollars. So, you know, we would need 16 businesses, cultivation businesses, paying their average of $62,245 in order to offset a one million dollar tax break. We would need four storefronts, averaging $229,000, right? So this kind of gives an idea of if we are going to try to look at um, adding new businesses to counteract um, any reduction in taxes, what that could potentially look like. And of course, this is you know, prefaced on the, the idea, based on the idea that um, that average revenue would not change, right? That that's, that would stay constant. So I think in summary, it's important to think about um, you know, several points. There doesn't seem to be um, on a, on a citywide basis a need to, to lower the 4% CBOT. Um, I think that um, if we are looking at a large influx of new businesses to offset that reduction, um, I don't think that will be seen. Um, and I think we're not seeing a lot of the other conditions that we have seen other cities look at in making the decision to lower their tax rate. We don't see businesses failing at abnormally high rates. We don't see um, our neighbors coming online with, um, you know, and undercutting our tax rates by half. We, we just don't, don't see this. Um, we are a regional supplier. Um, we are fortunate in that regard that we are supplying to a greater region, and so we are able to have and support a larger number of businesses than a lot of our neighbors um, you know, in the South particularly are. So um, with that, I tried to keep it as brief as possible because I know there's a lot of people who'd like to talk and share their experiences. Uh, so thank you very much. Can I, um, Davina, can I ask a quick question on that last slide? Um, when you mentioned the business failures or the closures, those are only folks who've submitted permits, like turned in their permits, right? Like that wouldn't necessarily, do we proactively audit and check if businesses are still operational or trying to yeah, figure out how so, we got to those numbers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we, we um, our code enforcement officers go out and do what's called sort of regulatory inspections. So I believe it's every other month they go out and inspect. And if they see that a business is closed, um, they will then, you know, contact us to see if we know anything. They'll contact the property owner. Um, so even if a business doesn't notify us that they're out of business, we'll know within 60 days. Okay. And so, and we do follow up on those, um, and then we note it in our own spreadsheet. Okay. Thank you, Davina. Certainly. All right. Madam Clerk, let's start the public comments. Thank you, Chair. We have 22 speakers. Our first speaker is Meryl Starr, followed by Khalil Ferguson. Good morning, and thank you for having this opportunity to speak to you. 
I'm, um, have been working with Sacramento Kids First since its inception. Uh, it's been of interest to me because I've been 20 years a citizen of Sacramento, 30 years in Sacramento County before that. And in the coming in, in seeing the um, oncoming of cannabis uh, use and legalization and the taxes that came, it just seemed that this was one way that youth could be enhanced and given opportunities through part of the taxes and uh, enabled us to, uh, in us, citizenry, to enhance the mental and emotional health of young, young people. I'm especially interested in the, in the idea of youth and adults working together in commissions that will build leadership skills among the youth, uh, will provide for a growing relationship that is healthy and, and builds and addresses many of the issues that are niggly and enduring, whether it be fostering, uh, homelessness, drug use, uh, all of the different things that take away from a young person's chance to make a difference in society. So I thank you for your time. I urge for maintenance of the 4% tax rate and continuation of the opportunity for the Sa Sacramento Children's Fund to flourish. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Khalil Ferguson, followed by Rachel Brown. Good morning, Madam Chair and committee members. My name is Khalil Ferguson, president of the United Coral Alliance, and the UCA strongly encourages this committee to recommend the city council to adopt a BOT structure that promotes a sustainable and equitable cannabis economy for three reasons. Number one, the cannabis industry is on the verge of collapse. Number two, the current tax rate is inefficient. And three, equity operators and small cannabis businesses should not be responsible for carrying the city's tax burden. Turning to my first point, over 13% of California retailers, or 265 operators, failed to make a tax payment on the May 1st deadline of this year, according to the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration. Those businesses are now facing a 50% penalty on those old taxes, which could be a death blow to many of those businesses. The city of Sacramento has already realized a 15% drop in cannabis taxes collected since fiscal year 2020 to 2021. And anyone with a basic understanding of business and financial economics can see that the windfall gain from the legal cannabis uh, legal cannabis sales during the pandemic was artificial, and the industry is on a downside run, constricting until it bottoms out. Turning to my second point, the current tax structure is inefficient, and if kept the same, would cause the tax base for funds such as the children's funds to dry out. The current BLT collection rate imposes an effective tax rate of 20% after compounding from cult cultivation to consumer purchase. That 20% is reflected in the price of the good even before the consumer pays the city's 8.75% sales tax rate and the state's 15% excise tax rate. The tax structure is ineffective. Turning to my third point, equity operators and small cannabis businesses should not be responsible for carrying the city's tax burden. Equity, businesses, equity business owners who survived the government's punitive war on drugs are the primary proponents and target beneficiaries of this proposal. For the foregoing reasons, the UCA strongly encourages this committee recommend the city council to adopt the cannabis BOT structure that supports a sustainable and equitable cannabis economy. Thank you. Our next speaker is Rachel Brown, followed by Hazel Watson. 
Good morning. I'm happy to be here today. My name is Rachel Brown. I'm executive director of the Power and Alliance, which is a manufacturing property business improvement district over in the Power and area. Uh, we are within District 6. We have the largest concentration of cannabis businesses within the city, um, and they're important to our business mix. Since this is a legal operating business, I would like to support modifications to the tax structure so that we can keep this business in the city thriving. I recognize it is a huge part of the city's revenue stream, and as such, I think we should look at um, implementing changes to the process. I know it's about tax, but I think overall we should integrate this business type into the regular systems that all other businesses get when they come through the city. We shouldn't keep them over off to the side, continuing to give them special treatment to the negative. Um, the speaker before me did a good job about the inefficient tax structure, and I support uh, what he said, he's very eloquent, and I don't have as many talking points. I'll just end with this. Um, I've talked to a couple of commercial brokers. I try to keep uh, them close, as I understand just market trends, and um, there is not that deal flow happening right now that used to be. Um, there is cannabis spaces that are being turned over. Uh, landlords are willing to rent them to non-cannabis users because there's not that person willing to come backfill. So I, I'm not sure on the application pipeline how quickly those applications turn over to become an operator that then pays the revenue to the city. But I would argue there's a lot of things that need to be looked at. I'm here to join the conversation as needed. Look forward to seeing this discussion continue, and I'm happy to contribute moving forward. Thank you. is Hazel Watson, followed by Satender Cower. Hi, my name is Hazel Watson, and I work for Sacramento Act. As a community organizer, I'm currently working with a group that is looking at aging out foster youth and the homelessness that those people um, suffer from. And I just would like to say that I strongly support the tax being kept the same because the money is going to go to that youth, youth um, program. And we need solutions, and solutions cost funding. And having spoken to a couple of youth that were um, homeless in the city of Sacramento just recently, I know we need this funding. I know we need the support for this youth fund. And um, the cannabis tax is where it's coming from. So appreciate you listening. Next speaker is Tatender, followed by Verbal Adam. <coughs> Um, good morning, Council. Hi, my name is Satinder Kaur. My preferred pronouns are she, her, and I represent the Jagata Movement, working as a community organizer based here in Sacramento County. Um, last year, I voted for Prop 8, and I support a fully funded children's fund, and I am opposed to tax cuts for the cannabis industry that would result in less funding for the children's fund. It is true that some cannabis businesses are struggling, in the city staff report, the city staff makes the point that the city tax is one, of, is one very small piece of the picture, and if the local tax were to be reduced, it is very likely that businesses would still struggle financially, and the city would lose millions in revenue for the kids' fund as well as the general fund. I understand cannabis sales may be down, but can we take a moment and reflect on what this gateway drug is doing to our youth, society as a whole? It's everyone's moral responsibility to leave this world a better place than before. Federal and state governments need to take action. If anything, increase the tax rate for cannabis and alcohol sales, maybe? Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Verbal Adam, followed by Leticia Aguilar. 
Good morning, everyone. Um, if you ever told me that I would be standing in a city hall in California arguing against lowering the taxes on marijuana, I would have looked at you in your eyes and laughed. Um, however, I am the District 2 Commissioner for the Sacramento Youth, um, the Youth Fund Oversight Committee, and I have an obligation to the youth of Sacramento. Um, it is unfortunate that our business owners are finding it difficult to open marijuana businesses and sustain them at the current tax rate. It is unfortunate that the funding for our youth programs in Sacramento has been tied in um, with the uh, tied in against the interests of our businesses. At the same time, the youth of Sacramento are the future of Sacramento, and we have an opportunity to decide what future we want to have. Do we want our children to engage in, in activities and programs and have resources available to them that will help them become well-adjusted individuals and make a positive change and become change makers that lead the way not only for Sacramento but for California and the nation? Or do we want our youth to have traumatic childhoods, sleeping under bridges, only getting meals when they go to school, or watching their parents go through horrible circumstances because there was no other place for them to be? Um, I think that a postponement of, of lowering the tax to allow our committee to be more effective in making sure those organizations that are nailing it have the funding they need to keep going and helping those children would be a fair middle ground. Um, I think that's pretty much all I got. Hope you guys have a great lunch. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Leticia Aguilar, followed by Rachel Barrios. Sintamana, Wunawunan Kanima. My name is Leticia Aguilar. I'm a tribal member of the Pinoleville Pomlo Nation, CEO of Native Sister Circle, a youth organization rooted in Sacramento, and most importantly, I'm a mother of three, born and raised in Sacramento. As a mother, a businesswoman, my work focuses deeply on undoing the damage caused by addiction and overconsumption of controlled substances. I am a strong supporter of the Children's Fund. Cannabis is advertising to our youth and promoting the use of cannabis. Um, you don't really see on these billboards the elders that are uh, using it for um, healing purposes or cancer patients on those billboards. Uh, they're advertising to our youth. And also, the uh, cannabis has been proven to have a detrimental effect on our brain development. Uh, as youth, especially in our young people, the studies indicate that regular use during adolescence can lead to cognitive impurities and reduce their educational attainment, affecting the further uh, their future prospects of our youth. Let's keep in mind the brain is not fully developed at 21 and recognize that our youth are also being recognized up to age 24 and in some cases 26. We should be mindful of what negative outcomes will be present for the next generation. While cannabis may generate revenue for some, it is also perpetuating the exploitation of native people that are most vulnerable communities, uh, further increasing crime rates in those already vulnerable areas. Let's please look at the bigger picture. In conclusion, as a mother and community member, I oppose any tax cuts from the Children's Fund created to undo the negative impacts on our youth. We should prioritize. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Rachel, followed by Kimberly Cargyle.
came prepared with a lot of material. I'm just kidding. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Rachel Bardis. I am a home builder, a developer for City of Sacramento. I've been doing that for several years now. Um, I've been working with the City of Sacramento and developing various policies, working towards the missing middle and a lot of things that are very complex issues in housing and development. The cannabis industry is nothing short of catastrophic on navigating issues. It's been difficult since day one. The city has been very proactive uh, in a very early, very beginning in the state to put forth efforts to license this activity. I think it's time for us to look at that again. It's been several years. I've been doing this with you since 2009, 2010. And I'm telling you, as also somebody in the business community and cannabis, this has to be relooked at. We cannot look at other cities. We've always been a leader. We can't look at other cities and compare ourselves to them in saying that we're just in holding and maintaining a tax that was set at a peak of 4% with a sliding scale down. We need to look at the opportunity to hear the businesses in our area protect not only the children fund, but the city's tax revenue on this industry to recognize it's, there's a direct threat. Cure, one of the largest taxable groups in our area, left. They left the city. They occupied a space that, of which a building that I own. So I know the impact that you have as a result of them leaving. Herbal, one of the largest distributors in the state, gone, bankrupt. Several millions in taxes never to be collected. So whether we're supporting the children's funds or it's looked at as a threat for reducing it, ultimately you're protecting your city in the future and the businesses that have put a lot of effort forward. Thank you. Really followed by Allegra Taylor. Can I put something up? Did I put it right here? It should come up in a second if you want to. Good morning, my name is Kimberly Cargill. I'm the CEO of A Therapeutic Alternative and a 20-year-long advocate for our industry. My company is a small women-owned company and it is also a social equity company um, due to a story that I won't spend time telling you about, but um, not core approved, but still so, so social equity company approved through the state of California. I was thinking this morning about this, uh, this situation in the city of Sacramento regarding cannabis taxes and what word explains it. And I spent some time on Google going through words, you know, is it extortion, is it this word, is it that word? And I landed on a word that explains it and it sounds harsh, so this is not to, meant to offend you all. I know that um, this is not your fault that we're here, but you are the people who can help us fix it and um, exploit. It seems that um, the city is currently exploiting cannabis businesses in order to balance the budget. The definition of exploit is to treat someone unfairly in order to make money. 
I care about the children. I care about the city of Sacramento. I used to give $200,000 to charities every year. Right now, all we pay for is our employees and our lights. We don't have any money left for anything. And I deeply care about homeless people in my neighborhood and in this city. I deeply care about all these issues, but these issues are being balanced on the backs of our businesses, and it is unfair. These issues are city issues, and they should be split up evenly amongst all the businesses in the city. All the businesses, all the citizens should share the burden of our city, not just cannabis businesses. You are currently discriminating against us and, and setting us aside. Your time is now complete. Thank you for your comment. <laughs> Our next speaker is Allegra Taylor, followed by Estrella Ortega. Good morning, City Council members. I am here as a member of SAC Kids First, and I am the CEO of the Village Advocates of Sacramento. Uh, I also represent uh, students in District 7, 6, 4, and not 1. Um, with that said, as we are preparing for Christmas, for kids and families that are less fortunate and don't have money. Um, I want to mention what one of the parents said to me. The people have spoken. And when the people vote, you want them to go out and vote. They went out, they voted. They voted for the SAC Kids First, the Kids Fund. Although I empathize with these businesses that are suffering, I have to put first the kids, the youth, the young adults, they're homeless, they're jobless. We can't take away from the youth and the young adults and our children when the people have spoken. We voted for the money to go to our youth and children's funds. We're expecting that money as a nonprofit organization that does not filter in a lot of these grant funds that come in. Uh, we're looking for those funds to come through, and we're hoping that you guys make the right decisions. And I'll be praying for you because I know it's a hard decision. Have a good day. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Estrella Ortega, followed by Tyler Bergman. Good morning, council members. My name is Estrella Ortega, and I am representing the Race and Gender Equity Project, and we are located off of Florin Road. Um, the Race and Gender Equity Project's mission is to harness the individual and collective power uh, and transformation through healing, education, advocacy, and research. And we support the Children's Fund, and we are completely support uh, funded by the... Uh, we gain funding from the Children's Fund, which means that we are opposed to cutting taxes. Um, the resources that our organization provides um, are resources for uh, programs to help better our youth with mentoring, um, as well as other educational programs um, and opportunities to grow as activists and as, other, and as human beings. Um, so uh, back in 2016, voters approved uh, the cannabis legislation with the understanding that businesses would be taxed um, and that tax funding would then go to the Children's Fund. Um, and so for that reason, we um, are hoping that uh, the funding for the Children's Fund can continue and continue supporting nonprofits like ours. Thank you. 
Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Tyler Bergman, followed by Debbie Borton. Good morning, I'm Tyler Bergman with Legacy Farms. Uh, a couple points that have been brought up. One first was the number of businesses that have been closed because of tax rates or the burdens that we face getting open. One thing that wasn't represented is the number of people that have been through the core equity programs or through other programs trying to get into the legal industry and because of the costs associated with getting uh, into the industry, getting into the spaces that we have here. Um, the building I'm in currently has three different uh, suites that are not occupied. Uh, one of those spaces was recently looked at by a group and was passed on because of the city's tax rate. Uh, they went to another city where it was a 0% tax rate. Um, so that's affecting not only us in the building because we have to cover the, the CAM expenses to maintain that space, uh, but we also are um, you know, carrying that burden ourselves. Another thing is, you know, as far as the children fund, each and every one of us has our own families, right? So as cannabis operators, our employees, we're all taking care of our own children. I understand that the funds are, are meant to help with those programs. And as I mentioned earlier, that should be something that's borne uh, up by the entire city, not just by each individual industry. Uh, that's, that's most of my comments. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Debbie Borton, followed by Joe Devlin. Hello, um, Debbie Blurton from All About Wellness. We're one of the legacy dispensaries here in town that have really been through a lot, which has allowed all of what we went through to allow a core program that we're all talking about today with the equity. If we weren't the ones that started it, we wouldn't even be here talking about it. You know, from the FBI trying to shut us down, the IRS, I mean, I could tell you horror stories of being threatened 15 years in prison, but we made it through it and we're here today and what we're asking is, please, we need help with the taxes. I understand there's a lot going on that this money goes to, but if we're not here, the money, there will be no money. And I'm asking to be treated equally as all other businesses in Sacramento. Thank you. For your comments, our next speaker is Joe Devlin, followed by Edwoa. Good morning, <clears throat> members of the committee. Um, uh, my name is Joe Devlin. I, uh, unlike many of the folks here, don't have any financial interest in this matter um, whatsoever. However, I do believe I understand this industry rather well. Eight years ago, um, I stood kind of in this almost exact same spot and said, hey, if we regulate this cannabis, we're probably going to see a lot of investment come to the city of Sacramento. We did probably well in excess of a billion dollars. And I said, hey, I think we we do this, we'll create lots of jobs, and it did, and probably around 10,000. Um, and the same with the production of tax revenue, and I'm, I'm here to tell you today that there's a problem at the moment, and if it's not addressed, it's gonna come at the cost of tax revenue and a whole lot of um, jobs in the city. Um, this staff report, um, frankly, is the equivalent of saying, um, this side of the Titanic has no holes. Don't worry about the other half. Meanwhile, you've got a whole bunch of people down below this, that deck screaming for their lives. And I think information could have been easily gathered just by talking to the industry itself, but that communication um, has really stopped. I hope that the uh, committee will consider not just lowering the tax, but maybe if that's too big a decision, 
put it on a pause, maybe create a task force, put all these folks, including all the stakeholders, youth advocates, the industry, yourselves, and talk through what are very complicated matters related to economics and, um, and market economies. So thank you very much. Speaker is Edwoa, followed by Melinda Gallery. Good morning, and thank you for holding this space. My name is Ajua Achianu, and I'm with Youth Forward. As you've heard about the Children's Fund and SAC Kids First, I'm here to share a little bit more about our work in detail. So this past summer, SAC Kids First and Mayor Pro Tem, my Vang, convened about 70 policy experts and young people to start strategizing on how to best use the new funds. Children's advocates came up with some life-saving ideas. For example, the Children's Fund could create a guaranteed basic income program for youth who are aging out of the foster care system. These vulnerable youth often have nowhere to go, no adult support, and some even unfortunately become victims of human trafficking. According to the 2022 point in time count, about 50% of homeless young adults on our streets were in the foster care system. By empowering foster youth with resources, we'll reduce homelessness and make a long-term difference for hundreds of young people in our city. Young people have also been hard at work. This summer, SAC Kids First partner organizations and IBASI, a local youth-serving nonprofit, coordinated 10 listening, sessions, 10 listening sessions that were attended by over 130 middle and high school age youth. Based on the feedback from these sessions, a team of young leaders are now creating a youth survey that will be deployed this December in high schools. SAC Kids First will bring back the feedback from these surveys to the Oversight Commission and Youth Commission to support their development of the five-year strategic plans. All of this work would be undermined and diminished if the council were to reduce this funding stream. Hundreds of people across the city are working together to do amazing things for children and youth and save lives. Now is not the time to dash our dreams. It is the time for the city to follow through on the voters' mandate to make a significant investment in the youth of Sacramento. Thank you. Followed by Justin Jacinto. Thank you. Hello, Council. My name is Mindy Galloway. I am the CEO of Camilla Shared Manufacturing and the Pocket Dispensary. Currently, I have eight core shared manufacturers under my facility and 12 core members. My dispensary is independently owned, which means that we have no corporate backing. We run this ourselves. Um, I understand that we had some information, the reports, failing businesses, um, what is not taken into account is how much money these businesses cost in order to establish. Um, it's millions of dollars in some cases, and that is not taken lightly when a business fails. It also does not take into account many other businesses that are transferred for pennies because um, they went under. I fully support you know, the, the youth and what we have going on, but please do not put that stress and the burden on the backs of the independently small business operators. Um, would you do that to any other independent business operators, small businesses in the Sacramento area? We are taxed 
um, disproportionately, the chart shows the state taxes 15% at the end. Sacramento is actually 20% because it's 4%, 4%, 4%, 4%. Down the line, that is compounded. I really strongly urge you to look at other avenues in order to gain this tax money. Look at alcohol, look at the businesses, the big corporations that are exploiting children in other countries. We are not sinners. This is not something that we should have to pay for. We're just trying to make a living. I employ you know, um, homeless women I support were mentors to many communities. Um, us community members, the small businesses, we care about other people in our areas and in our neighborhoods. So thank you for listening. Speaker is Justin Jacinto, followed by Javier Hernandez. Hello, City Council. Thank you for your time, and I also appreciate your continued strategies to help sustain the cannabis community, which is currently going through high turnover rate due to unreasonable taxation. I'm a social equity business owner, and by the way, my name is Justin. Um, I've been operating for about eight years now, um, working through the legal parameters, you know, following the rules, and I'm still yet to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We all need the help that we can get, otherwise there won't be any taxes for you guys to collect. Um, we're all burnt out, and some of us don't even know if we're going to be making it in the next few years. Federal 280E won't allow us to write off taxes except for cost of goods sold. State excise requires retailers such as myself to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes every quarter, and I don't even make $10 million in revenue a year. Um, I exceed the caps. So I don't even get the credits to reinvest. Um, at the end of the day, I have to leverage keeping my doors open and being somewhat profitable at the expense of what my employees deserve to make. It's very disheartening to tell my mother that I only have much to my name after eight years. It's almost as if I'm, I'm lying, that I'm barely profitable when that is the truth. Um, we deserve to see the fruits of our, label, of our labor and we also deserve to build generational wealth. I am in support of 0% operating tax for social equity companies who've already gone through the burden of the war on drugs. Truckee has a 0% operating tax. San Francisco has a 0% operating tax. Oakland has a higher operating tax than us, and they've already lost more than half of their revenue in the last two years. I am in support of a flat 1% operating tax industry-wide, which will help against the illicit market. We can continue to support our youth programs and the cannabis industry by shifting the responsibilities to entities like Walmart, who have an, a cap of $5,000 operating tax. A single entity such as myself shouldn't have to pay more taxes than a, than a company that has multiple stores in your city. And Ms. Misagueta, with all due respect, um, if you're concerned about your district, you have to address those. Thank you for your comments. Your time's now complete. Our next speaker is Jay Johnson, followed by Lozen Miranda. Good morning, committee. My name is Javier Hernandez. I'm one of the three founders and operators of Humble Root, a social equity company based here in Sacramento, uh, eight years ago. In the eight years that we have been at it, we've been able to grow from a 10 by 10 bedroom to a small business employing more than 50 people based in District 6, uh, Councilmember Eric Guerrero's district, um, who has now ignored multiple requests since July to speak to us. Um, after eight years, there's nothing to show other than our tax receipts that we've paid to the city, state, and the IRS, and at this point, it's in the millions. And, com and also comically more than companies like Walmart have paid. 
When you spend $100 at our dispensary, over 50% $50 of those funds are gone to taxes throughout the supply chain, and I often find myself asking, do they really do half the work to deserve this, or are we just getting fleeced? Why is it that us that were most impacted by the war on drugs, those that are put the responsibility on to repair it? I grew up in South Sacramento and I've always had the dream of owning a small business to provide for our community. And after eight years, I'm no closer to owning a home, nowhere near close to owning the building that we have poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into due to the strict requirements that cannabis requires. <clears throat> the founders, uh, sorry, after eight years, I'm being asked by my staff why we need to do tip pooling instead of paying everyone what they deserve. The founders take the minimum exempt salary while working the business every day to keep this thing floating until hopefully there's reform in our tax structure. This eight-year dream has slowly become a nightmare, and I hope that you guys recognize that. Seeing, company, seeing companies' closures and declining revenue in, in, in an inflationary period makes it seem like we are losing twice as hard. I am the kid that the youth programs was supposed to help. My staff is the, the, the people that the youth programs were supposed to help, and we're asking for your help now. Option one is needed, a flat tax reduction for everyone. Uh, that helps social equity, and it trickles all the way down. Products typically touch many other uh, points which affect our taxes. Um, option number two, which is referring to a tapered uh, tax system for social equity, uh, leaves out people like mine, which still need help even after eight years of getting this insane tax rate. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Lozen Miranda, followed by Klima Mataki. Hello, everyone. My name is Lausanne Miranda Brightman. I'm in ninth grade and I'm from the Lakota, Yaqui, and Otomi tribal nations. My family has been in North Sacramento districts two and three for over 50 plus years. As a tribal youth from North Sacramento and a youth advocate, I am a strong supporter of the Children's Fund and oppose any tax cuts to this. These funds would help my fellow youth receive proper prevention programs that we desperately need in North Sacramento. I am asking you not to go back on your commitment to future generations of Sacramento. Thank you for your time. Our next speaker is Kalima, followed by Rhonda Ernest. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Kalima Mutaki. I'm a lead organizer with Sacramento ACT. I'm a District 4 resident and I organize with congregations across the city. I'm here today because the children of Sacramento deserve a fully funded children's fund. I think that all too often the value of children is discounted, be it the children being ethnic, ethnically cleansed in Gaza or children being disinvested in Sacramento. Children are children. They are our future. They are our future. The Children's Fund provides necessary resources and was designed to fill a need that SAC Kids First and other organizations have been highlighting for years. Countless congregations and faith communities have highlighted that their youth are facing a crisis. Cutting funding for youth in this moment will only lead to further devastation. The youth of Sacramento didn't ask to be put in this position, and they don't deserve to be punished for it. Cutting part of its funding will be devastating, not only for the future of children today, but our collective future. Thank you. Ernest, followed by Mike Swell. Hi, my name is Rhonda Ernest, and I am the CEO of Natural High. When you look at me, I am the youth. I am the person that 
lived in South Sacramento with my mother and father. My father was a boilermaker for Southern Pacific. My mother was um, the first woman mechanic for regional transit. When mass layoffs happened in the 80s, and then following that, there was um, the war on drugs, it destroyed our whole community. And that's, we were already redlined to um, Metaview, Del Paso Heights, and O Park. So we can only live in those places. And then when the war on drugs hit, they hit those places. So it destroyed our community. And I think a lot of people here don't understand what that looked like. We had families. We had community. They were our friends. Family. I mean, we were really close. We had a, a thriving community, even though we were redlined there. And the war on drugs really affected us. The mass layoffs for blue-collar workers affected my father. At the same time, the war on drugs hit. And I'm saying, I am the youth that survived that. Now I'm in a business where I feel like we cannot even grow. We can't even move forward because we're taxed so heavily. Here I am. I've been a business owner my whole life, <laughs> my adult life. Um, I have a hair salon. I've been paying taxes here in the city. I have never in my life seen anything like what's going on in this industry right here. We are suffering and we're barely making it. And I understand that the youth of today need us, but we can't help them if we're crippled. We're paying these high taxes. And I'm just saying the taxes across the board for everybody is outrageous. But literally, the core for me, for the people that were affected by the war on drugs, should we have to carry this burden? I just want you to ask yourself, stop thinking about dollars and cents and think about what really makes, what, what really is fair. That's all we're asking. What's fair? Well, followed Snell. by Edgar. Thank Snell. you. Thank you, sir. Followed by Edgar Romo. If I need to use this, this face up or face up or I can really zoom in at all. All right, well, my name is Mike Snell, owner of Off the Charts, veteran for peace, local entrepreneur in uh, District 6. Um, I second uh, the other operators who lack uh, support from our district members, not to mention um, the, the regulation side of uh, city management. Um, I'm on course to pay over a million dollars in taxes by the end of the year, of my fiscal year, and I have yet to have a meeting or any you know, card of contact from any of those staffers of any kind of support. And as a business owner, that's a slap in the face. I still can't purchase a home for my family as other operators that we're paying unjustifiable taxes. And I encourage the, the youth, the, 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 the people from the youth organizations um, to understand most, some of us, like myself, I'm a parent I, and a statesman. I would love nothing but to support youth development and homelessness. But again, that's, shouldn't be the bare burden on cannabis only. Why are we not looking at a more easy, more violent and accessible substance like alcohol? It's sold in every gas station. It's in every, it's in every grocery store. It's in every cooler. It's right next to the orange juice in some of these parents' store, uh, uh, refrigerators right now, I guarantee it. Since the inception of prohibition to now, it's proven that opioids, fentanyl, everything else but cannabis is more dangerous. So the taxation that's disproportionate in comparison to other industries, not to mention Walmart, 
is unjustifiable, and there's no data that can be provided to support it. And so I'm asking for, I'm demanding equal treatment as a business owner. I am a small business. Thank you. Our next speaker is Edgar Romo, followed by Megan. Good morning, members of the committee. Name is Edgar Romo. I'm with the Office of Samoan Affairs. We are a local nonprofit, and we do a lot of youth programming within the city of Sacramento as well as throughout the county. So we educate youth between the ages of 14 to 24. Our program is called OSA Rap, and we educate youth on um, learning a little bit about themselves, coping skills, stress management, as well as the benefits of healthy relationships, how to have a healthy relationship, and how to find, how to handle money and use it as a successful tool to, uh, to kind of meet their goals uh, in the future. And while doing this programming throughout the city of Sacramento, I've no, I've one thing that's, um, that I've learned over these 10 years of, of working with youth and, and programming is that the youth of today are, are not growing up in the same environment that I grew up and most likely not growing up in the same environment that you grew up. Uh, they are in struggling with a lot of different things. The environment has changed and they are in need of a lot of different uh, services um, that are currently not being provided. We do a lot of case management and we try to offer them as many resources that we can find throughout the city. But, um, and some of those resources are, you know, come from needing uh, help with addiction and other things that they're struggling with. So with, with that in mind, I, uh, I approve or a, a, a fully funded children's fund I think that the fund can do great things and can only help and benefit the youth in the future with uh, you know, any other types of things that they may be struggling with. And I oppose the, the tax cut on the uh, cannabis industry. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Megan, followed by Jaleel Baker. Good morning, everyone. I am Megan Bueno from the Sacramento Office of Samoan Affairs, as you met my regional director, speaking as a strong supporter of the Sacramento Children's Fund and opposing the tax reduction of the city's cannabis rate. And if the council approves reducing the funding of children and youth services, it would also mean hurting our youth. Measure L has been beneficial for the youth as voters have also shown very strong support and many children in Sacramento are already struggling as is and defunding the youth services would be detrimental for our community. Thank you. Thank you for our comments. Our next speaker is Jaleel Baker, followed by Peter. Morning committee, how's everybody doing? Good. My name is Jaleel Baker. I'm a proud resident of District 4, um, and I'm also a representative for a local nonprofit, Improve Your Tomorrow, where we represent over 4,000 youth um, in local middle schools and high schools in the area, where we serve and mentor them to better futures and college access. Um, I'm also a part of the SAC Kids First Coalition, the coalition that is responsible for passing the Sacramento Children's Fund. Um, as you all very know, this, uh, this, this measure was voted on in support of over 50% of Sacramento voters. And I've had the opportunity recently to host uh, youth focus groups with our youth who are very excited about the prospect of the Children's Fund coming to their communities in the aid of much needed services. 
Um, a lot of the youth have already voiced concerns about this potential tax cut and how it could affect the Children's Fund. Um, and I'd just like to, you know, put some more perspective on how people may be feeling about this fund is that a tax cut to the cannabis industry um, is not likely to bring additional revenues to the city or the Children's Fund. And I understand some of the concerns from, you know, the small businesses that are in the room today. Uh, but unfortunately, that is what the, the text of the measure was, right? Uh, the measure was very clear about where this money would come from. And before the implementation or the rollout of the fund, we're already discussing on, you know, how we're going to provide a tax cut to small businesses instead of, you know, go through with the fund. Um, so I just wanted to remind you all that there are a lot of folks watching, a lot of youth that are expecting and hoping for this money to come to their, to their communities. And we would not want to disappoint, you know, over 50% of Sacramento voters um, before the fund is even implemented. So thank you so much for your time. Next speaker is Peter Falau, followed by Steve. Good morning, members of the committee. My name is Peter Falau, and I am also from the Office of Salmon Affairs. Uh, I'm also from District 2. I'm a father, and I'm a youth pastor the First Samoan Congregational Christian Church of Sacramento. And I am in, I'm speaking in support of the Children's Fund, and I'm speaking against the tax cuts that are being proposed. Uh, I have a seven-month-old. I want to know that by the time my child gets up to the age where these programs, where he will qualify for these programs, that they will still be in place. And if we offer these tax cuts, it's going to take away from the funding that are going to make these programs available. Programs such as the one that we are implementing for youth ages 14 and 24. This is an, a very important part of uh, the children's lives. They're very impressionable. And by the time they hit 25, that's when their brains are going to be fully mature. And everything that they learn during that time is going to be stuck with them. And one of the things that, you know, if we don't offer these programs, one of the things that are going to be stuck with them is um, cannabis. And I do not support, you know, offering them, you know, these tax cuts to, to further their, their businesses and their endeavors. And this is a tough world that our children are going to be growing up in. And I speak up for my son, my nephews, my nieces, and all the children in our youth, and all the participants that we offer our services to. Thank you. For your comments, our next speaker is Steve Squaliga, followed by Mandeep Singh. Good morning, committee. Thanks for taking our time today and reviewing this topic. Um, I am a owner and operator of a cultivation and a dispensary in Sacramento, and um, I just wanted to speak on behalf of uh, supporting of modifying what we're what our taxes right now. Um, I'm getting phone calls constantly from multiple operators around Sacramento that reach out to me because I'm uh, a qualified cultivator asking for help. Um, we have um, a lot of 
operators that are just holding on right now. And I'm actually just because COVID and a couple other things happened last year with last summer, a little bump in the market is the only reason why a lot of these are still around. I foresee taxes probably stop getting collected shortly here. Um, I would be kind of curious of how, you know, what taxes are in default right now. Um, I employ over 100 uh, employees in, in District 6, um, Councilman, and, um, you know, I expect more jobs to be coming as we, as we keep moving. Um, it is very difficult. We have a large business, um, and uh, I can't imagine what it is for even a small business. It must be very difficult. Uh, right now, I have an open space, 25,000 square feet in a building that one of the largest, the largest distributor in, um, in, the, in your district, uh, Councilman, is, is looking to move to West Sacramento. Uh, we can't compete with West Sacramento. They're at about 1%, um, and that they are uh, interested in taking some of the larger brands uh, connected, Alien Labs, Delighted, Seven Leaves is already gone, moved to the Bay Area. Um, I just think that we also uh, would, should, we should look at a support of more of like a 2% across the board right now, something more fair we could reevaluate re in, um, you know, maybe six to, uh, six to 10 months, six to 12 months. Um, it would be ideal if we did uh, go 0%, we would be able to tap uh, for distribution, we'd be able to bring a lot of new distributors in Sacramento because we're a location. Thank you for your comment. Your time is complete. Chair, that's our last speaker. Oh, I'm sorry. Our last speaker is Van Deep Singh, and that's our last speaker. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Hello, Councilman and uh, Council members. Um, my name is Mandeep. I work for Jakarta Movement. We're a, a youth organizing group. In Sacramento region, we have over 20 high school chapters representing over 300 high school students. We also do work uh, with substance use reduction. Um, so I'll get to that a little bit after the initial part of the comment, but I believe the city staff has already spoken to you all about um, studies done in other uh, locales where reducing the tax does not bring in higher revenue. Uh, it actually uh, reduces the tax revenue that happens. Um, so, you know, just off of those numbers, I, I'm not sure if this makes sense. So I would uh, suggest you all don't reduce, um, you know, the, the, the tax that the, uh, the voters passed. But I want to talk about a little bit of the human side of this. Um, I don't know if you all are in touch with high school students, but I would encourage you all and everybody in, in the audience right here, uh, talk to them of how many of their bathrooms are open in their high schools. Most high schools have one or two bathrooms open and the rest are closed because students are smoking in there every single day. Fire alarms are going off every single day. These students are dealing with this on their campuses. Some are even smoking in classes and they use the vape pens where they uh, blow smoke into their uh, backpacks, right? So I'm not saying it's the responsibility of the folks that are owning businesses that that's happening, but we need some people that are actually looking out for the youth in Sacramento here. Uh, we need people that are actually not taking away resources, the little bit of resources that finally come around after years and years of work, and the voters pass that, and then we decide just from you know a, a signature from us that we want to cut that in half before they even get a chance to get out the door to help them. You know, so if you all need any more information, I'm, we are happy to help talk to you all. Um, I can connect you with some of these high school students and you can hear from them directly. I wish this was being held in the evening so the students could show up, but they're obviously in their high school right now, so they can't come advocate on their behalf. So, you know, I would just hope you all take that into consideration. Thank you.
Thank you for your comment. And Chair, we have one last speaker, Jay Johnson. How's it going, committee? Thank you, Flea. You guys got to see me before you guys got to go, so I'll make this short and sweet. You had a lot of different people in here who have different interests concerning this, but I'm boots on the ground. I was here in 215. I've been here since Prop 64. I've seen a few of you during campaign time, so you guys are pretty familiar with me. The industry is suffering, and the reason why, like most cannabis topics you guys have, this isn't filled right now is because the largest expo of the cannabis is going on right now in Vegas. And I guarantee you a lot of the conversations being had are how do you survive? I went last year when I tried to get funding for my business, people said they don't even come to California because our tax laws are so crazy, they know businesses are gonna fail. You had a speaker come up here earlier and say that Herbal, the largest distributor in California, failed, left California, over $300 million in funding they had. Two years ago, Flocana closed, $175 million in funding. Now, Davina had some good charts up earlier but she's comparing us to normal small businesses. We're not a normal small business. We have to pay an absurdly amount of high taxes. And if they don't change, we close. Now we care for the kids. Before 64 even got involved, a lot of us gave to these charities behind us out of our own pockets. I already support a homeless school called More Life Academy right by Grant High School. So we all do it out of our own pockets. It sucks to be an owner and have to tell your people you can't give them raises or you have to fire them right around this time of year. So we are those disenfranchised youth, so we understand what they're talking about and where they want the money to come from. But ours should not be the industry that supports all the districts when we're mainly comprised in District 2 and District 6, but we're being asked to support the burden for all the districts. Without us, there is no pie to tax. That's what you guys have to understand. We are going to be closing down. I stay in a multi-shared facility. I've seen four businesses close this year alone. That's the canary in the coal mine. Thank you. My uh, fellow committee members for indulging me and taking several late comment cards, but I felt like it was important at this committee that we hear everybody who has an opinion. And I do want to thank everybody for making time to come down here today. And just to start by saying, I feel pretty confident in saying that I don't think anybody I see in this room opposes protecting funding for youth. Um, I just, nobody opposes that. But like it or not, Measure L tied the success of the Children's Fund to the success of the cannabis industry. It did. If there is no cannabis fund, there, if there is no cannabis revenue, there is no children's fund. Um, so while we're thinking a lot about what a reduction in the tax rate might mean for revenue, I also want to make crystal clear that not acting might also reduce the revenue, if not the same amount, more. Um, all of the indicators are there. And believe me, we get plenty of businesses who come to us who are looking for a break, you can imagine. Um, but I have seen these books. I have toured these businesses. I have seen their numbers. <laughs> these businesses are about to close down, a lot of them. And if they do, we will see a significant reduction in revenue to the Children's Fund if we do nothing. Part of what's unique about some of the concerns I heard when Measure L was being proposed, which I did support Measure L very enthusiastically, but was that this is such a new industry. It's already so volatile. We're already starting to see the ups and downs. And as a city, we've never looked at the tax rate since we initially passed it back like many, many years ago. And so we were due already to sort of step back and say, okay, what makes sense? What do we know now? What makes sense? Um, and so I just want to caveat all of that to say like for me personally, part of why we're here today is because I'm very concerned about the stability 
profitability of the children's fund. I'm very concerned about that. When I have multiple businesses coming to me who are paying millions of dollars in taxes, saying we're on the verge of shutting our doors, what do we do? Like I see this both in terms of a business in my district who's employing constituents and in terms of that is now an additional million dollars that is not gonna be eligible for that 40%, right? I mean, this is a really, and I think a few people use the word unfortunate. I think Allegra offered to pray for us. I thank you for that um, because this is a really difficult situation for those of us who actually care about both ends of the equation here. It just really is. Um, so I just want to say, first of all, legacy businesses, and I say legacy businesses as the folks who were here before Prop 64. These were medical cannabis businesses. They were serving our people. They were serving folks like my dad who needed cannabis at the end of his life. Um, they, A lot of them would have been eligible for CORE if they had waited, and they did not. Um, they got into the business early. A lot of them have faced criminal charges. A lot of them have faced threats, as Debbie mentioned. And so I think it's really important that if we do consider, and this is not a voting item today, but if we consider direction to staff, that we look at all the businesses. Um, because they've made it. They've managed to survive a decade. I don't know how, honestly. I've seen Phil and Debbie's numbers. I know how close it's probably been on more than one occasion. And they've somehow managed to hold on. And so I do think everybody together is important. We have a lot of grant funding for equity participants that are eligible that I think is fantastic. We do a lot of work to support them. That is important. Um, so what I think is really, I would like to hear from my colleagues today about potential direction on bringing back an ordinance that would support the 0% tax rate for distribution and testing. I think this is important because as we talked about at our last meeting that's essentially a double tax. Um, you're basically charging the manufacturer and the dispensary to get the good from point A to point B. No other industry that I'm aware of does that. Um, and so we are just basically doubling the tax rate on what would be a normal 4% rate. Now it's 8 or 12% if you also control the manufacturing. And also a 2% tax rate across the board for remaining sectors. Um, that's something that I'm interested in supporting as, as a future action item at this body and would be interested in hearing my colleagues' thoughts. But just wanted to start by saying I was very vocal about Measure L. I will continue to be vocal about Measure L. You will always count on my support for protecting funding for youth. And I want to lift up the comments in particular that this should not be the only source of money for youth. Um, we're worried due to politics that it will be, but it should not be. Um, and so I do want to continue working on tapping into other sources of general fund revenue so that we can build and sustain that fund for the long run. But just wanted to start as liberty of the chair with my own comments here. And we'll now go to the vice mayor. And I appreciate you allowing folks to add on afterwards. I think uh, if there are two things that are important in this country and that we know you, that we um, can't get away from, one is taxes, and the second one is the ability to, for free speech. And um, uh, so let me let me start off for those that were here in the last hearing, um, and for those that weren't, you know, where um, where I where we left off. I think it was a three to one vote or a three-to-one, it wasn't a vote, it was a three-to-one direction, I guess to say, on reducing the tax, and, and, uh, and um, I still uh, start off with that framework in um, not reducing the tax at all. Uh, that's, where, that's where my base starts at. And uh, for those that um, are in the industry uh, here today, um, first, one, um, um, Sacramento, in the county of Sacramento, um, still is the only city that you can even operate here in every level of um, the, um, the supply chain uh, with the exception of consumption. And but for Sacramento, we probably wouldn't even been moving in this direction. Um, I do uh, also want to acknowledge the legacy businesses who 
have taken this on and uh, debunked some myths um, and uh, made what uh, has allowed for regulations through the other cities. Uh, and this this decision to move forward in the city, um, you know, was not taken lightly. You know, I, you know, we knew that this would end up in essentially two districts based on the way things were going. Um, and I've worked with many of the folks who have applied uh, in my district and worked with them with their business issues as they were. And I want to recognize the Power and Alliance here because they were opposed to them, even starting. Um, the businesses in my district were opposed to the cannabis industry even starting uh, here. And now they're operating, and, uh, um, and some have succeeded and others have not. Uh, and I think that's changed uh, some of the perspective. So, one, uh, to those that are here with the Children's Fund, those who are supporters, um, I want also you all to consider that when we talk about the industry and the businesses here, <clears throat> That may be the entity, but as one of the speakers mentioned, uh, it is linked largely to employees. This is still an industry that is not automated. Uh, it uh, requires uh, a lot of hand labor involved in it, and so the employment of uh, folks is, is a critical one, uh, and one that, you know, for the most part, doesn't require a four-year degree to be able to enter into, into the market. So it has created, um, you know, what where there was vacancies uh, in the uh, manufacturing and industrial area, uh, new opportunities for growth. So that needs to be, I think, importantly recognized. And, and for, uh, for those that are here with the Children's Fund as well, um, again, you, you all saw where my position was, opposed to reduction of the taxes. But I, just, I also want to say something that, um, you know, be careful what you wish for. Because, um, you know, the, uh, the reality is, is that, uh, if the industry does collapse, um, and um, then um, then so does the, the the children's fund. I mean that's that's just how the voters were tied to. Um, but here's here's where the the you know the the bigger scope is and where I see this. One, um, it's not that Sacramento lives on an island, uh, and so consideration of of our neighboring county is important, but a bigger consideration. Uh, is also the state, and I do believe that uh, um, that there is a very quick race to the bottom without any return to to the uh, to both the jurisdictions and the growth of the industry if localities begin to reduce their taxes, um, much like you saw in Palm Springs or Cathedral City, and uh, and that leaves the state off the hook, and frankly, um, Sacramento should be putting more pressure on the state. The, you don't. Yeah, well, thank you for your comments. Um, uh, and um, so th there, I think, goes the, to the point that I think for us to move sooner than the state would be a mistake. You know, that for us to move uh, our small percentage that have, would have a much more dramatic impact um, to the, what our multi-level goals we're trying to achieve um, I think would be a, uh, a significant mistake. And I uh, do not support this 2% across the board. I think that that would be a, 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 um, a very um, haste, hastily, haste uh, move. Um, now, there are areas where, you know, I do see that there could be changes. And, then, and again, this is where we need to be, we need to have a much more uh, thoughtful and strategic approach and not want to let the state off the hook. But there are areas where there isn't 
the, the profit margin to maintain necessary components of the supply chain. Uh, and I mentioned those last time. Um, that is the testing aspect of it, and that I think is an important part of why uh, the legalized industry is important because they do they are testing for a number of chemicals and if folks in the children's fund think that you know uh, the uh, the cannabis industry uh, in the illegal nature is going to change and change the quality or whatnot um, that's not I mean I think there's an important part to make ensuring that we have um, testing and unfortunately youth are getting it from their parents and probably from legal locations and that's a and that's a problem in itself. Um, so that there's education that needs to happen in that aspect. Uh, second, distribution, um, because some some jurisdictions like West Sacramento, who have said no to retail, who have said no to cultivation, um, some have had said no to manufacturing. Some, you know, um, have a, opened it up. Um, I think distribution is a, again again another essential component that needs to maintain if we're going to keep the. The, uh, the supply the, the supply chain of an industry uh, moving. So I think consideration for those areas are important uh, on just the overall um, you know uh, uh, structure of vertically integrated companies or individual uh, uh, separated uh, companies. Um, the the other thing I, I think you know before we start even talking about tax reduction. Um, you know, and this goes to our, our finance staff here, is that, you know, there, there has been overpayment by some of the industry to the city. And frankly, it's not the city's money. We should pay that back. I mean, I think that those, uh, ind those industries that, that, that uh, paid their uh, taxes and made an error, and there were a couple, I think, or a few, um, we should make sure that we correct that if we're going to address that. So, um, number one, what is owed is owed, and, and we should do that. So I think that's an uh, important aspect um, to look at as we move forward for staff uh, uh, here. Um, you know, I'm open to the concept here because we have said that those who are in the core program are, uh, by their own, by that nature, having challenges of entering into the market and making sure that they do, that there should be consideration in the tax uh, reduction for uh, the core participants as as well, um, and um, and so I think uh, you know those those three points are probably uh, where there where there's opportunity. I don't think we need to uh, completely rush into these tax reductions at all. I think if anything, if we do that, we're gonna you know um, you know I think make some dramatic impacts to our own city operation that's required to even you know manage what we're trying to uh, expand the business. The, the, the last thing that I will say, I think that we should uh, look at the economic aspect of um, where we do have vacancy in warehouses, vacancy in areas. Um, we should look at that. We should look at is there, is there a phased-in approach to maximize those CUPs that have already been um, uh, approved. Um, and if it is competition because of distribution or whatnot, there should be a phased-in approach to get to the 4%. But I don't think... Uh, again, I don't. I firmly do not believe that we should be reducing the four percent and allowing the state to be off the hook. And uh, I'll use the analogy: if uh, if we eliminated all our four percent to zero, that's like taking sand to the beach. You wouldn't see a difference. I do think that uh, it's critical. I do want to thank a few people here that that came today. 
um, because uh, it has brought us to uh, uh, the, the growth of this industry. Um, you know, I do want to thank Rachel Barnes who has started off early on and, uh, and you know, when I was um, more of a no, absolutely not and said, hey, look, this is Prop 64 allowed for this. This is how the city could regulate. Thank you for uh, your perspective on it. I, I was first elected and was getting educated with it. Do you want to thank the the, the you know um, you know the Blurtons and um, Ms. Cargill for educating me on the retail side and understanding how those operate. Uh, and also um, you know to uh, Joe Devlin and Councilmember Chenier because um, I want to go back to uh, I want to end with this, Madam Chair, because Councilmember Chenier, um, you know Measure G was the first time where I remember, and I supported Measure G, where it was um, the youth groups and the cannabis industry uh, in conversation on how to move the industry forward and also how to address youth exposure uh, and, um, and look at the, the issues af affected from the war on drugs. That conversation, unfortunately, lost by, I think, like less than a percent. It was at 65%. Uh, and it would have tied the, the funding back then. But I think the concept of a task force with the youth and the cannabis industry is important because whether folks like it or not, whether the Children's Fund likes it or not, or whether the industry likes it or not, the voters vote, voted in a, uh, a uh, what do you call it? Uh, I don't know if I want to call it a shotgun marriage or not, but you know, it, it, it wedded the industry with uh, these uh, coexisting goals. So I do think you know, there, it would be helpful for uh, for some um, task force, and it does, I don't think it needs to be driven by the city, but I would encourage that the uh, youth advocates in the industry um, uh, start having these conversations because the collapse of the industry will mean the end of, of the youth fund as well. So uh, I'll stop there, uh, Madam Chair. I've had a lot to think about it over my tenure on the council, uh, and I will say, and it's not lost on me because the majority of these are in my district, and I've seen them from ground up from a vacant location to a thriving entity uh, to where I think we still have the, the first and the second largest manufacturer um, uh, in the country here in Sacramento. Yeah. Thank you, Vice Mayor. And I do want to clarify my direction for my opening comments that it's not to take pressure off of the state to also um, change their tax rates. So I just want to make sure that's super clear. Um, Councilmember Kaplan. Thank you, Chairwoman. Um, really want to thank staff for all their time, effort, and work uh, on this. I also want to thank everyone here. I know it's difficult when we have a 10 a.m. subcommittee meeting, and I wish we could have, uh, you know, always something to think about, but we always have evening council meetings, not committee meetings, whether uh, there are certain times that that may be appropriate. Um, but I also want to uh, thank you, Chairwoman, for your opening statements and your statements after public speakers, because, um, I want everyone here to know this isn't an either or decision. There's, there's, there's a balance. It's whether I support business or I support children, it's not an either or. I think too often we're having conversations of it has to be A or B when it could be both. Just because you care one way doesn't mean you don't care another. And I think that does our city and our citizens a disservice when we say either you're for us or you're against us. That's not what we want to teach our children. I think what we're talking about today is about balance. How do we balance things? Because you're right, Vice Mayor. Um, be careful what we, you wish for. 
You know, we are elected to look at the greater good. I appreciate everyone here because you have to advocate in your lane, in what you believe in, and your voice is really important. Then it's my job to look at the bigger picture and where do we find a balance so that we don't end up doing something that means the funding that Measure L is yet to bring in goes away. But we also have to look at business doesn't mean just business. You know what business is? Sacramento is blessed with an abundance of small businesses. And you know what that means? That's your neighbor, that's your family members, that's our brothers, our sisters, our aunties, our uncles. That's the future, that's our children. So it isn't an either or. And, and, and that's just something I implore as, as we go forward, whatever decision the council makes, um, it's about a balance. It doesn't mean I'm with you, it doesn't mean I'm against you. It just means our job is to make hard decisions and look at the greater good. So let me clarify, I am pro-kid. I am pro-business. I am pro the 10,000 employees that are approximately working in the cannabis industry. I am pro-equity. I'm about anti-war on drugs for our children. I'm pro-family. I'm pro-eliminating the black market. I'm pro-addressing which is actually affecting our kids more, the D9 unregulated hemp that they can get at our grocery stores and our markets that our kids end up overdosing on more than anything else. I'm pro-regulating discriminatory advertising. And I'm pro-streamlining business and making sure business survives. So I've got several questions that I think we should think about as we're, what, what, because I think we need to come forward with something. I think it's time as we look at the greater good. Um, but you know, one question we haven't asked that uh, San Francisco's and others did, is our market here in Sacramento saturated? I think it's time we actually ask that question. Because I look at our legacy and I look at others and it's not that I'm against more businesses, but I want the businesses we have to survive because if they survive, then Measure L has more funding. Mm -hmm. If they don't survive and we oversaturate it and businesses go away, that's gonna affect the amount of money that comes in for Measure L. So that is something I don't know if we've really looked at is, is it a time for a pause? Except for core, don't get me wrong, because core sometimes like takes five years. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a problem in and of itself. You know, that's a separate discussion I think we, we need to go. But, it, but is it time? Should we have a moratorium on certain things to pause, to make sure what we're doing is, is right and how we do it? Um, I look forward to working with SAC Kids first because I think we really need to address the black market and first and foremost, what uh, our kids go to, uh, these little grocery stores, gas stations, markets, is the hemp uh, D9 component, which you know we heavily regulate cannabis. And when you have gummies, there's only a certain amount you can get. With hemp and D9 product, which has some of the same derivatives, they can have 20 or 30 of these gummies, which is why our kids are overdosing, because it is not regulated. You can go to a grocery store or market and get them. And that's something, you know, as a side note, that we haven't addressed and we haven't looked at that I think we need to discuss. Um, one thing I am absolute, like, I don't know why we wouldn't do this right now. There are too many stories of 
individuals who are sick. We are one of the only developed nations in the world where you can go bankrupt over medical costs. Why are we taxing verifiable medical cannabis? Please explain it. Please. I, I look at it, I get cannabis, but I gotta tell you, I have too many people in my family. I have too many people I know. Cancer treatment, migraines, you name it. Cannabis is a way to ease their pain and suffering. It is medically proven. Um, why we would further tax individuals who are going through something horrific in their, in their life when there is a way to get a medical card, uh, that I, I, I don't understand the logic and the reasoning because that could be any one of your family members. You know, so for me, medical cannabis, first and foremost, we should move quickly on. Because that's not about, no offense, that's not about businesses, but that's about people. That's about people who are suffering. That I think we should take a look at. I would like um, to look at creating a task force, you know, that might include uh, what's going on in Measure L, but also something in the meantime where we have industry come together. Because here's the thing that I'm asking each and one of you is to read and do your homework. The city of Sacramento put forth for the March 2024 ballot an adjustment of our BOT for businesses so that Walmart and other big businesses start paying appropriate business operating taxes. So we've done our due diligence on that. I'm gonna be presumptuous. On the passage of that March ballot at the BOT, I think it is valid to discuss how we balance cannabis BOT as well. I would be okay if we charged alcohol the same amount because alcohol has shown to have more damage for our youth. I'm okay discussing, because we talked about them, whether it's appropriate or not, a sin tax. But it's out there. And it's like, I know, and I wanna make very clear, uh, because it's important when we talk, we talk about faxes and clarity. Measure L has not been implemented yet. That approximately seven to eight million dollars has not been distributed to our youth. So everything and every organization that is getting funding from the city of Sacramento is coming out of our general fund right now. No matter what decision we make, be it a reduction in taxes or not, there is nothing that is going to be taken away. It's because nothing has started with Measure L. So that's why the time is now to really look at it because it isn't saying we're funding this and then taking it away from you. We have yet not opened that door and Measure L as written says we can't supplant. So it means if you have a contract now, we can't transfer that money and we pay you out of Measure L. Measure L is about new, is about new funding sources so that's why, for me, I provide, a, I have a level of comfort that we're not taking away from what's already being provided right now because Measure L hasn't gone into place. And Measure L is gonna be about more, not less. So this time for me is how do we look at that bigger picture? Um, I'm also open to um, a pause as we look at a, maybe a brief reprieve of like a quarter of three months adjustment of moving down the BOT uh, to 2% for everybody, give it a little reprieve. Um, 
before, you know, and have that time where we have the task force and we discuss, but it be just a brief reprieve, which is something that we look at if the BOT taxes, what is something more permanent we can do. Um, I am supportive of eliminating the tax on distribution and uh, testing because it just doesn't make sense. So I'm moving from point A to point B and you have to be taxed on that. It, it, like, and if you look at many jurisdictions, don't tax or they tax 1% on distribution. It just, why are we adding another layer um, in, in that regard? Um, and then I am, which is I know another discussion, how do we take a look at core and refining core? Because it's not that I'm concerned about core, I'm concerned about the 49% investors in core. Because no offense, the war on drugs, I grew up in the 80s, I know all about it. I grew up in Oregon. When you have money investing, it's that money is controlling things. And it's a, another version of discrimination and racism with the 49% investors. Because are we demanding that those 49% investors be equity? And then knowing that 10 years after a core business is open, they can sell, or are we demanding that it go to another equity owner? Or could it just then, again, dilute the industry? So I got a lot of like thoughts, but I want to narrow it down that I think we should, um, as we move forward, look at a potential moratorium, um, a, uh, even if it's two, zero, one, or two, but an absolute reduction in medical cannabis. Um, if you look at the reduction is, is not much, but I think it means more to people. Um, and one of the things that I think is really important that, uh, you know, sometimes we look at what not to do by what Oakland does, but sometimes we look at what they do, that if the BOT uh, passes, what Oakland has started doing is a 1% rebate incentive for uh, promoting equity, either through employment or actions that you've done to benefit the community. Um, I think that's another way to allow a reduction in taxes while promoting equity um, and using other factors, because I guarantee you, um, Sacramento is one of the most diverse cities in the United States. I guarantee most of the people who are in our cannabis industry are promoting that equity. While they might not be a core member, they can qualify and providing them and having them show that they are doing equity employment, which matters, and that they are uh, they're benefiting the community, putting it on them that they could get a 1% rebate, um, I think is, is a balance uh, that we, we should truly explore uh, when the BOT passes in March. So I know that was a lot, um, but um, I think there's some things we can move forward and find balance because we need reprieve for the industry. I Thank appreciate you. that. And Councilmember, just to be clear, I think you were saying you support an across the board reduction. It was really about whether or not there was a moratorium involved in that as well. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I understood your position. All right. Vice Chair. Uh, thank you. Um, either the uh, Davina or yourself can maybe speak to, um, after this hearing today, the next steps, series of steps that should take place so that everybody in the audience will know um, what takes place after this meeting today. So can I do that before I get my, do my comments? 
Sure. I mean, this is new territory, and I'm seeing the look on SAS basis, so I will extrapolate that I know an ordinance would need to come back to this body to be considered by the full council. And the opinion of the city attorney, which is why I wandered over to Steve's desk and wandered back, was that within the existing voter authorization, as long as we're within that 4%, we can make adjustments without having to go back to the voters. So if the council votes to adopt this, it would be based on that 30-day or whatever timeline we establish for implementation. Okay, so. So it has to come back here as come an back ordinance, because we're not voting today, we're just giving direction. Exactly. So it comes back here in what time frame? That is a great question. That is more of a leaning question. Yeah, we don't know. How quickly can we type it? No. <laughs> Hi, Lainey Milstein, Assistant City Manager. Um, what I'm struggling with is we heard a whole lot of different direction, several of which included let's pull people together and talk about this, about what exactly to bring back. We heard some people say yes testing and, and distribution. We heard some people say across the board. We heard So I'm not sure what we're bringing back. I don't know if we're convening a task force. I don't know if we're waiting until after the March vote on the big BOT. I, I, I need a little more clarity. And um, I am going to say even if we got 100% clarity today on something, it will not be until after, well after the first of the year, just given what staff is already working on. Yeah, we have one more Law and Ledge meeting on the 5th, which is gonna be very crowded, which is why we're pulling your offices to move the time up again. Um, but I think what you've heard from Councilmember Kaplan and myself is that yes to no, on t and that's why we'd ask you to weigh in, Vice Chairs. Like we've said so far, yes to no tax rate on testing and distribution, and yes to an across the board reduction. The real question being, do we phase that in after a moratorium? I think we have consensus that we like the idea of a task force, but I don't think that's con one is contingent on the other. I think we just want to keep talking about the co concerns well, raised today. Yeah. And then, our Vice Chair. Yeah. Then we'll then we'll give clearer. Eventually, I'll tie it up with the bow. Right. We, so, and I, I also heard just as we're working on clarity, the notion of a pause, but not forever. I'd just like to share the two percent across the board plus zero to testing and distribution is a reduction of fourteen million dollars to a twenty-one million dollar BOT, and it would be eight and a half million to the general fund and eight and a half a little bit weighted more to measure L, or I'm sorry, five and a half. So when, I think it's important that we understand um, the, the um, impact, uh, wh what that means dollar-wise, and if you look in the um, report that was prepared for 9-5 that is attached to your item, um, it's fairly clear on page not numbered, um, <laughs> the one that has the BOT at four, three, two, and one. Um, did the math from there. So we just, it, 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 because if it's a pause, the ordinance will be drafted substantively different than if it's a reduction. And it's not actually an ordinance because the rate is set by resolution. So we, we would be doing it as a new resolution. So that just something else to consider. So I guess then it comes down to you, Vice Chair. What do you think? Well, I think I yeah. think the uh, I, I think, think the, Vice Chair still has comments. To yeah, make. I know. I'd like to let the Vice Chair weigh in here. Yeah. So, if I can stop just for a second and, and thank those from the public that came out and spoke today, um, I want to let you know that I heard you clearly, and I know we all heard you clearly. Um, there's a problem at the moment. Um, one person said this side of the Titanic has no holes, but it's filling up with water. Um, 
I've heard the reduction of the tax stream. I've heard the stability, maintain the stability of the Sacramento Children's Fund. Um, and I've heard very clearly that if in fact businesses go out of business, there is no Sacramento Children's Fund. Um, but I also heard clearly that we need to listen to the industry, that you're just a representation of the industry, but we need to somehow take a pause and listen to the industry, and I'm in favor of that. I, I think that's something we have to do. We have to figure out how to do that. And, and I'm not quite certain I have the answer, but I know that we have to do that in order to be able to really understand. Because when I look at staff, I'm reading that there are 288 approved BOPs and 77 pending, and that our rate right now really doesn't need to be changed based on where we are, but I'm hearing something different from the public. And so that for me, that says we're at a dichotomy, we're not on the same page, therefore we need to come together and try to figure out what is really going on in the industry. Um, I, I wanna believe that staff is absolutely accurate in everything that they've said. I'm not saying that you're not, but I'm hearing a whole lot of different things in, from the public as far as where the industry is and what needs to be changed. And so I don't think I'm smart enough to come with solutions as to what the solutions would be. I, I wouldn't do that. But if, listening to the public, the entire public, I think the solutions will come and make themselves available. So. Okay, so if I'm hearing you correctly, Vice Chair, you are in favor of forming a task force to Absolutely. determine the best next steps. Um, I guess I will put that back to the committee for yeah. input and feedback and vice mayor. Are you done with your comments? Sorry. For now. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and again, uh, th thank you, Madam, Madam Chair. Uh, thank you to, to my colleagues here for their comments here. Let me, uh, I think it's important that staff have clear direction. So we we have to try to get at least to some clear direction for them. I want to be, be clear about where, where my position is. Right. At the moment here, I don't think we should be reducing any of the taxes, okay? Changing any of the tax structure. I do believe that we should pull together a task force because of the nature of Measure L and its, uh, and its a direct connection to the industry to look at a few areas. Um, and because we don't have to go to the voters and it can be done by resolution, doesn't mean the task force is a one and done, you know, issue. That, Frankly, I think they need to be working further on. The areas where I think they should only focus on are in um, essentially three areas. One, core. Two, I think the parts of the distribution and testing side of the supply chain. I think it should be limited to that. And it's not saying zero or, or, or one or four or three. I think those are the areas, but I do not think at the moment, particularly as we're prepping for the mid-year budget and getting assumptions for the next year, that those are appropriate. I think that needs to be narrowly focused and tailored and figuring out how to go there. That, so I think- I appreciate me, that, that's, Vice Mayor. I just think you might be the minority in that opinion, so I wanna make sure that we hear from uh, the other colleagues. It, as well. I saw staff taking notes and just wanna make sure that whatever direction comes today is the will of at least the majority, if not, you know. I may be the minority, but that's- I just wanna point that out. Yeah, I appreciate that. I was a minority at the I'm last I'm taking week. notes on your thoughts diligently. Thank you. Um, 
What do you, oh, Council Member Kaplan. <laughs> Thank you, Chair. Um, so I, I think one thing we, we have agreement is on the task force, but what does that mean and how? Um, I know task force are used as a means and a ways to delay things. Been around government long enough that a task force, while we've got Measure L getting up and going, is also something realizing the balance of, of asking staff to do things where I know that Chair Valenzuela and I can pull together task force and, and hold meetings and pull people together, um, you know, from both sides. And that it can be something where we have, just as Councilwoman Mai Vang, uh, and partner with her because she did the youth listening session with, um, with kids and, and having, you know, pull something together that there are meetings that we can get, you know, it could be once a month, a couple hours, pull things and get people together. There are very smart people that can say what's working, what's not, and their suggestions. Um, my staff and I have spent a significant amount of time with those in the industry to get up to speed very quickly, because uh, this is not my bailiwick and my understanding, and, you know, you guys have many years of experience under your belt um, that I don't have, but what I'm hearing is uh, what you said, uh, Vice Chair Jennings, is that while I, I don't think I'm smart enough to solve it, I hear disagreements of one, what we're, what we're hearing from the audience and what we're receiving doesn't seem to mesh. And it doesn't mean one's right or wrong, it just means I ask more questions and I get curious and I start asking why. Why, because this doesn't make sense. So I, I think we need to do um, and have pulled together, you know, task force meetings. But one of the things I would like to ask you guys, would we be opposed if a resolution is put in to immediately cut cannabis tax uh, for medical cannabis in half? Would there be objection to that? Unbelievable. Um, I don't, <laughs> sorry, you're hearing lifetime. I love that you keep referring to sausage making because that's very much how this um, feels. Uh, this is open, this is Brown Act in action, everybody, not conferring behind the scenes and conferring yeah. in real life. Um, I mean, I support a full exemption to medical cannabis, to be clear. I mean, it's a relatively small percentage of the revenue and um, it doesn't make sense that we're taxing people's medicine. Um, I am curious, this task force idea I would like it to be time bound in some way because mm -hmm. it can often lead to now it's six months later and we're still talking about it. And I do think I appreciate what you said, council member, in terms of, you know, we haven't started spending the children's fund money yet. And so a reduction now versus a reduction in a year, if we decide to do a reduction has very different implications for programs standing up. Um, so I know you talked about a moratorium. Um, I think a, a moratorium across the board would light the fire under us to find a resolution quickly. Um, if we said, hey, we're just going to put a moratorium up and then we got a, a month or two and then we got to find an answer and put it forward, I think that puts the pressure on us to come up with an answer and a response and to put forward a new resolution more quickly. Um, that's that's where I might be comfortable lying so that we can, and I'm, I'm happy to work with you on convening this task force and open the door and have as many meetings as it takes, but I think we need a little bit of our own sort of accountability in the game here, and I think a moratorium yes. might light that fire. I don't oh, know I, I see, the vice chair I feels see about staff that. as we talk moratorium. Yes. Sorry, I'm Davina. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can we just get some clarity about, when you talk about moratorium, are you talking about processing and approving of permits? 
of renewals so, of tax of tax okay. collection. She said yes. Oh, to oh, 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 no, no, no. no. Moratorium oh, means to across me the board. no new businesses. Means we pause everything in line right now until I, we figure that out. I, 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 I would defer to the attorney. We've talked about pausing things that are already in process and what, where we have landed in the past is we don't accept new applications, but we continue to process where people have already made investments. Yeah. So. And, and I will add that we have um, some storefront um, people applying for storefronts that have a, an April 1st deadline, and so that is sort of deadline determinant. Well, and, um, and that's where I said except for yeah. core, but you know. Yeah, but I guess, I mean, could we say like more, so you're saying moratorium on new permits, maybe outs that aren't already in Well, process? I would like to, I, I think we should definitely put a pause on accepting anything new. If there's disagreement legality of what has already been put in and what is being processed, um, I, I think, you know, we, we should pause on accepting anything new right now. Um, because our industry may or may not be oversaturated um, in, that, in that regard. Uh, task force, I was looking at that we need to have something by March because then we'll know with whether the BOT uh, passes or not. So, you know, that, that's something that, that comes back uh, to law and ledge uh, March. Um, I think core is a longer discussion yeah, and there is an ongoing the, assessment going on with CORE. So yeah, so that one I think is just ongoing, but as we look at, you know, and that may be CORE as we look at it, the the <coughs> phase-in and taxing may be the appropriate, like the structure of CORE is, is a longer conversation. Taxes, um, you know, I think that's where we talk about distribution te uh, testing. Um, I do like the rebate idea that Oakland put forward. Yeah, I appreciate that. I guess I'm... Um, I want to stay focused on the question at hand, though, which is, like, what do we mean when we say... I don't say tax moratorium right now. I'd love that, but I don't think there's votes for that. So. Okay, so we'll let Davina... Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, I did want to point out that the EPS study that is attached to the staff report, um, that did do an analysis of oversaturation, and that's and, and they found, um, at, when they presented in 2022, that there was no adverse oversaturation, and that's the point, that we are a regional supplier. We don't just supply the city of Sacramento. We supply a much greater region, and so that's why we're able to have a lot more businesses than perhaps a city of our size would otherwise have if, for example, But don't our we have 78 or 88 applications pending so it could be saturation if they all come into effect we do and we actually have fewer pending applications now than we did you know a year ago or two years ago and we have more businesses operating as well um, I, I will say that our structure of how we process permits new permits um, someone finds a location that they rent they go through the CUP process they then find a contractor and do tenant improvements, and then they apply for a, a business operating permit. So they're applying for that business operating permit near the end of their process. So it's not that you're, if you say no new processing or no new accepting of BOPs, these are people who have already had significant financial outlay to get where they are. And, and that's why I modified and said no new applications. That, that is a business operating permit application is that that is that BOP application. So they will have already been a year, six months to 18 months into the process of renting CUP Be before, okay. before they before. submit. Yes, I because our BOP applications have a six month so life. I think um, I'm just going to interject here and say that um, I'm hearing the murmurings from our colleagues. I don't think there's a support for pausing the permit process because there is a lot going on in there and there are multiple I think types that's part of the longer of discussion. Yeah, so that's part of the longer discussion. So let's bring it back to the question on the table is a task force 
and then what? Um, so I heard that task force to bring something back in March um, would be, because then we'll know if the BOT reform mm -hmm. has passed. Um, the ordinance that will come back in March will be an ordinance to vote on. That is mm -hmm. my commitment, because I we need, we have been studying this for the whole time I've been on council, and I know before that. Um, I would like to f put the pressure on us be to make a decision. Be it ordinance or resolution, because Whatever that is, ordinance or resolution, calls. whatever the appropriate legal term is, um, in March, I would like this committee to vote on something, <coughs> even if we change it, even if it's something, it will be a task force process that will be open to industry and community stakeholders, including youth stakeholders and the Children's Fund folks, um, to talk about a multitude of changes beyond what the vice mayor mentioned. It will talk about tax rate, we'll talk about other things. We won't necessarily get into things that are already being analyzed by staff, so the core program analysis that I know is already going on, I'm sensitive to us not running basically a parallel process on that. So this would just be about taxation mm -hmm. and different types of taxation and sector-based approaches, et cetera. Um, so that is my proposal um, to put on the table bring it back by March. And to the stakeholders in the audience who think that is a delay, I will let you know that it probably, that's probably how quickly staff would bring it back anyways. So I think if we are doing some stakeholder meetings and keep the pressure on to have an ordinance voted on in March, the council could vote on it later that month and there could be action taken. Um, so I'm curious, um, Vice Chair, and then I'll come back Vice Mayor because I already know where you're at in the general, but Vice Chair, how that process sounds to you. I'm very supportive of what you just put on the table because I don't think at this point in time we should be looking at any type of moratorium. I think that's the long, long field plan, long-term plan. Um, but today, as we look at the businesses that are hurting that could affect the Sacramento Children's Fund, mm -hmm. we need to have a plan in place of working with them to understand more of their industry and what they say need to be some of the solutions. We need to hear them out. And so if that can happen by March and come back with a plan uh, to present to the rest of the council, I'm in favor of that. Okay, so um, I think we're landing the plane here, and I think that's early enough so that the our Measure L Commission would still be able to take into account any plans, because I think we're balancing two ends here. One is, what are the voters gonna do on the BOT? And then the other is, how does the Children's Fund Commission actually put forward a budget plan for us to consider before our annual budget? has to be adopted so I think March is the sweet spot there um, so Lisa our councilmember Kaplan excuse me and I put Lisa in my notes but um, councilmember Kaplan and I <laughs> um, will convene if folks are interested in being a part of that group it is an open door we will probably hold it here at City Hall we can be flexible on time and days and locations but we will be looking to move fairly quickly for a stakeholder process but I think you know I'm a big believer and sometimes you get all the right people in a room um, and you give it the time it needs and you can come through pretty quickly with an idea of where there's just intransigent disagreement and where there might be some consensus um, that we could bring that back. So, uh, Vice Mayor, I will give you another word here and then yes. we'll tie nope. this up <coughs> will, and then we'll go back to staff. Yeah. Thank you. I, I will say this. One, um, you know, we have the Brown Act process and if, and if you two wish to lead the task force, that's fine as well. Um, you know, I, I will say, you know, what you are embarking on is also something that affects almost exclusively District 6 and District 2. And it's, I always find it surprising how those that, uh, um, you know, um, that don't represent that area tend to jump in and push it quickly or move things quickly. So I would just ask that you work very closely through staff so that we can 
make sure that uh, we don't run afoul of the Brown Act process, but keep my district office included in this. Um, and I also want to just, you know, uh, for my colleagues and those of, on the council that are probably watching this hearing, um, should be very wary about, you know, what, uh, how this move, how any of this moves forward, because there are real budget implications for our city, even just on the, as you mentioned from from uh, Ms. Milstein here, I should say, Ms. Milstein, about to the general fund. And we're a, uh, a people service city, a full service city. And so those reductions will come at some cost somewhere, whether they be future for the children's fund if the industry is successful, or in the immediate, the ability for us to deliver services in our own city. So there, there's no free, no free lunch here. So I just want to make sure that folks are not taking this on, this on like it's that it's uh, it's that simple. So I will leave it at that, and um, and uh, I'm a willing partner, always have been because we've gotten to this point, and I've been on this committee um, since 2015 to move this forward. Um, I will finally say with um, on the moratorium because I did work on a moratorium resolution. Um, and uh, it, uh, uh, if we are going to embark on a cap or a limit, uh, we need to have a lot of notice because when we instituted the moratorium on delivery um, and uh, we did it at the request of the Power and Alliance at the time, uh, and obviously you see that there's a difference in tone of where things are today. We did it because we wanted to fact find of where things were, but it also came at a cost to the businesses because they are uh, planning years out in in their expenses. So um, if we're going to limit, then we should we should definitely uh, send a very visible signal about when and to what areas um, uh, we're going to uh, make that decision. So okay. Oh. Yeah. No, I appreciate, I think you've made your position crystal clear, Vice Mayor, and I do want to reiterate what I think several public commenters said, which is important, which is we should be looking at other ways to generate revenue as well. You know, I was supportive of changing the other business BOT to 0.05%, which would still make them like, what, 199th of the rate that we charge cannabis businesses, but you know, that could have been a way to make up the revenue lost here. I just think as much as, um, you know, we look to these new industries to pay for everything, and I think we've we've hit a limit, and that's my position on, on how far we can go there. But Lainey, you had a point you wanted to raise. I do. Um, any stakeholder meeting, staff will um, be there. We need to make sure we're providing you the information you need for the meeting, and we need to make sure we're able to validate information provided at the meeting, so staff uh, will be available. Um, and then the second one is that this committee has already acted to authorize a phased-in tax rate for the core program, and we have not yet brought that forward, and I just want to check if that's something that this committee would like us to wait until March or bring that forward in the normal course of business back to council for consideration in January, Mar February. I mean, it could come... As part of March, I also think, I mean, the phase-in approach would affect by year. And so, I mean, they're not going to get past a 2% if that's where we land before we make a decision. But I'm curious, Vice Chair, what you think. Um, I don't think we should be making hasty decisions. Okay. I think March. It so we'll, we'll do this all in March. Um, Thank you for clarifying that question, Lainey. So um, open, invitation is open. Staff will be there if folks want to be included in these uh, task force 
I'm hoping not a hundred meetings, but a few meetings um, between now. Um, eventually, we will start. You know, we're going to be pushing pretty hard for solutions and ideas. And and for me, I will just say on behalf of my office, and I feel like the council member will probably feel similarly. If there are other ideas for revenue generation, you know, our door is open to that as well. I think folks have brought up alcohol. Folks have brought up other ideas of things that probably deserve a relook at, um, given how low those rates are. So something to consider as you come into those meetings. Um, I know we're all we all share similar concerns about budget stability and particularly funding for our youth, but um, we need to be smart about how we move forward here so we don't inadvertently tamp out a business that we're relying for a lot. Um, and so I'm sure there was I will, one item I forgot that I mentioned earlier that I, I really needed just to put on the table there. Uh, okay. Which was uh, paying back overpayment. Like yeah. if, if we could add that to the... To the task force? Well, I don't know if that's so much a task force item as a staff follow-up item because, I mean... It's okay. It's illegal. Okay, so um, we'll keep that on the radar, and obviously, let us. You can let us know if during that law and ledge meeting, if it requires a vote. Happy to make that part of the motion. All right, is that all, colleagues? Is that clear as mud, staff <laughs> and stakeholders? Okay, we will be acting on this in March. Um, so I hope folks will join us for these meetings if you have an interest in this process. All right, that concludes our discussion item for the day. Do my committee com members have any further comments on items not on the agenda? And there's no public comment off the agenda, so this meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Okay.